Hello and welcome to Culture Sex Relationships with me, Justin Hancock. For this episode, I thought I'd draw on a couple of the articles I've written lately um, for BISH, my website for young people, uh, over at bishuk.com, and also an article I wrote for um, Mashable uh, lately, and again, I'll provide a link to that, but also there's like a blog version of this that um, you can uh, see at the Patreon, which I'll um, unlock so everyone can read it and see all of the links that I refer to. It's basically about looking at porn from a slightly different perspective, looking at it from the, the perspective of capitalism uh, and what effect that has on uh, workers, but also what effect it might have on, on people who view it. Um, so um, that's what this is. And um, so I'll get started. So it's kind of kind of split into two sections. So the first one is I'll explain the kind of the context Um how uh, porn and capitalism have operated under, uh, I guess, what we call cl- platform capitalism, which is uh, a term coined by Nick Cernicek. Um And then the second part will be looking at what effect this has on us. And also, if you're a fan of the show, you'll notice that a lot of these ideas have actually come from what I've learned from some of the authors I've had on the show, such as Rebecca Saunders and um, Bonnie and Jacob, uh, Bonnie Rambutan, Jacob Johansson, when they came on to talk about Event Horizon, and also when Alfie Bann came on to talk about Dream Lovers, gamification of relationships. Um, so it's all a bit meta. I'm doing a show out of things that I've learned. But anyway, I hope this makes sense. Uh, uh, if you um, like this content, uh, or if you go on to like this content, please um, consider supporting the Patreon from just a pound a month to help keep the show on the road. That's over at patreon.com forward slash culture sex relationships. All right, I'll get started. So there are a lot of problems with porn. A lot of it is deeply sexist, racist and ableist, transphobic, homophobic, biphobic. Just like the rest of society, it tells problematic shit stories about gender, sexuality and sex itself. It takes hegemonic or common sense ideas about relationships and sex and amplifies them to the max. Also, depending on the employers and pump and other porn performers, sometimes the workers are treated poorly and their capacities to consent are sometimes limited. Uh, porn had their own Me Too movement quite a long time before the the uh, the Me Too movement uh, uh, resulting from Harvey Weinstein, the allegations against Harvey Weinstein. Uh, I won't go into that here, that's not what the article's about. Um, a lot of attention is paid to the effects that porn might have had on an individual. And the answer to that really is that it's complex. There isn't really kind of an effect that researchers can definitely draw. It's very difficult to kind of find a causal link between um, uh, a piece of uh, media and the effects it might cause. Um, different, I've got a summary of that at my website for practitioners, bistraining.com, the article Does Porn Harm Young People? Again, there's a link to that in the extended show notes, the blog that I've written. Um, but also a kind of an interesting way of thinking about this and any media is to think of it as an entanglement so that we bring with us our own thoughts, desires and bodies into this, um, what Rebecca Saunders would say, call a biopolitical interface. interface. So we bring things uh, with us and that allows for a becoming a becoming other so I'm speaking in kind of Deleuzean terms here uh, if you want to read a really great paper about that I would strongly encourage you to read um, the paper 
Teenage Girls and the Entanglement with Online Porn, A New Feminist Materialist Perspective by Divya Barna and Shreya Natwani. Um, again, there's a link in the, in the blog, but if you just Google Teenage Girls and the Entanglement with Online Porn, you'll find it. It's open access. It's really, really interesting. So it's complex. Anyway, I'm not talking about effects or assemblages of porn for once. <laughs> uh, okay, so... Less attention is paid to how the labour involved in the production of porn is organised by capitalism and how this might exacerbate the conditions, the pay and also the hegemonic should stories uh, of, of, sorry, how this might exacerbate the conditions and pay of the worker and also might exacerbate some of these common sense hegemonic ideas I've been talking about um, that porn um, tells. And as I'll go on to talk about later, this also has an effect on the viewer. In this endless drive to seek profit and value, just two companies have brought up pretty much all of the market. They've created a duopoly, which either eats up the competition or squeezes them out of the market. To make profit, it sucks up smaller companies and drives down the pay and conditions of workers. They also rely on the user, or the viewer, to upload their own content for free. Sometimes this has been stolen, or non-consensually made, or non-consensually shared, or is in and of itself illegal. Their profits also depend on the information they extract from their users about what they watch, who they want to watch, and who they are. So this is about what happens in porn, but you'll also see a lot of similarities with music streaming, YouTube, and social media companies as well. So, free porn streaming sites, I'll call them tube sites, are some of the most popular in the world. They get hundreds of millions of hits per day and around as popular as social media websites, Amazon, Netflix and the most popular news websites. Xvideo, Xhamster, Pornhub, RedTube are incredibly popular. And uh, I'll just look this up. At the moment, Xvideo is the 10th most popular website online, down a place actually from 9, and Pornhub is 12th. And when you consider the websites they're competing against, we're talking about billions of views. We're talking about billions and billions of views a month. Okay. When these websites started out, they were competing with each other with content that was uploaded by the user, just like YouTube and Vimeo and Dailymotion are now. These companies were all then bought by their rivals, so the tube companies, porn tube companies, were bought by their rivals, not necessarily the most successful, but the ones who could borrow enough money to finance the deal. And this has resulted in just two companies, MindGeek and WGCZ Holdings, apparently um, that stands for Web Group Czech Republic Holdings, owning nearly all of the popular porn tube sites. So. The top porn tube sites are all owned by two companies. It's a duopoly. Two people own the whole market. Two companies. These companies also own or have bought hundreds of the most popular porn production companies. So, um, Brazzers, Reality Kings, uh, Digital Playground. Yeah, the, anyway, name you know, name a porn studio, and they are owned by these two companies. They make clips out of these porn films, which they put onto the free tube sites, which they own. So it's a way of them um, creating their own kind of advertising market space for uh, a marketplace for people to shop around and see which of their um, porn companies they want to buy material from. The viewer of the tube sites, the porn tube sites, give them a lot of information about what people like, who they want to see, and what they want to see. 
more on this later. So this means that they collect a huge amount of information about what kind of porn they should make. So we give them free market research, basically. So MindGeek also owns the advertising business, which they run on their own platforms. They also own one of the eight leading age identification services, which was to be in the running in charge to be in charge of the UK government's plan to restrict under 18s from visiting porn sites. That policy is now gone. But can you imagine that? That when the UK government were talking about restricting access to uh, porn websites, the uh, the program, the the service that was going to be that was in the running, that was being tendered to run that service, actually was in the lead to run that service, was owned by MindGeek, one of the two main porn companies that have bought up the whole market. Yeah, I know, wild. Okay. So this is called a monopoly or a duopoly, where a small number of companies, in this case two, own control a huge portion of the market. If someone looks at porn or wishes to subscribe to porn, then it's extremely likely that the platform and the porn studio will be owned by MindGeek or WGCZ Holding. Because they own so much of the porn market, it's actually pretty hard to avoid clicking on anything that isn't ultimately owned by them. If you find it difficult to get your head around this, imagine a high street in your local town or city. Almost all the shops, the products in those shops, and even the billboards and half the payment systems are owned by just two companies. Okay. Um, according to the Financial Times podcast, Hot Money, which I would recommend listening to, it's very, very interesting. If you like this show, I think you'll like this podcast. It's freely available. Uh, unlike the FT, which is behind a broadsheet, it is uh, behind a paywall. It is the best newspaper just is um uh but uh the podcast is free so according to the financial times podcast hot money Pornhub had had to take down a lot of their content nine million videos like two-thirds of their videos in response to being cut off by visa and mastercard visa and mastercard were responding to a guy called bill ackman who was a millionaire activist investor so an activist investor is someone who intervenes directly in companies to change their behavior or to make a lot of money or to change what they're doing who himself was responding to an article in the new york times by nicholas christoph which alleged that pornhub were hosting non-consensually made videos or illegal videos such as so-called revenge porn or videos containing minors so this kind of, I'll come on to talk about this in a second. So the payment companies have a huge amount of um, power and control over the porn market. So Visa and MasterCard are another duopoly who have control over the vast majority of our payment systems. So if we buy something online, we're probably using Visa and MasterCard or maybe sometimes PayPal. Increasingly, um, Bitcoin and crypto are being used, but that's often more of a faff for people. But most of them are buy for things, pay for things online using our debit or credit cards. We're using one which is um, run by Visa or Mastercard, so it's kind of a duopoly. Um, they also, um, the MindGeek, also use Visa or Mastercard to, pro to process their payments. Although porn on the sites owned by MindGeek can be accessed without credit cards, the companies need people to pay for the porn. That's one of their business models. So when we go on, uh, if someone were to go on uh, Pornhub, they own Brazzers, I think. So if you were to click on some Brazzers content and sign up for Brazzers via Pornhub, you need to use Visa or MasterCard to use it. Visa or MasterCard shut down MindGeek uh, a year or two ago. So, um, so they shut down, they basically had to take down two thirds of all of their content in order to be able to 
to have a payment provider, a payment system. Uh, Visa and Mastercard's actions revealed, and also the work of the FT, reveals that they have actually been the de facto regulator for porn for 20 years, which is really weird. They have to constantly make decisions about which companies they do and don't want to process payments for. So this has led to the bizarre situation where Visa and Mastercard, they are the key decision makers in whether a porn producer can use, for example, can use terms like golden shower, yes, apparently, or period blood, no, apparently, (laughs) which is weird. And also, side note, prepare yourself for a very strange fact. The first person in charge of doing this was a former FBI agent called Dick Held. Dick Held, right? And I thought my name was a good example of nominative determinism. So, the lie which is fed to us about capitalism is that, just like with any commercial activity, there is a free and fair market where companies compete with each other to provide the best product at the best price. Consumers are meant to benefit because we get to buy goods at reasonable prices uh, and good quality things. Companies that do this can make profit and invest in their business and stuff. This is meant to happen in commercial activity, and I'll go on to say at the very end of this, perhaps sometimes still does in porn. But what has happened here with the big companies is a good example of how capitalism actually operates. The big companies host rather than publish content. Actually, side note here as well. Interestingly, again, in uh, Hot Money, the podcast from uh, the FT, they talked about the early uh, Usenet boards where this couple who were running it were basically moderating all of the porn that was put up onto the onto these Usenet boards. Back in the day, they had like two bits of data per second, so it took a long time for a picture even to be uploaded on on uh, online. So there were these pictures of Bo Derek, uh, who uh, an actor model who was in Playboy, and um, they were being uploaded onto these Usenet forums, and uh, they were sued by Hugh Hefner from Playboy, saying, "Look, you're publishing my material on here." They were found to be publishers of material rather than just hosting material. And this was the court case which basically made this um, big kind of, um, which was the seismic shift in, uh, which led to social media companies and porn companies being seen as being hosting material, not publishing material. So material is published by the people who upload it, but uh, but they have used this court case to, to leverage themselves into a position where they are where legally they host rather than publish, which means that these companies could never have got sued, set by the precedent from Playboy, when uh, the couple owning the Usenet group were found to be publishing the material. Does that make sense? Anyway, that's a side note. But these big companies host rather than publish content, which means they can profit from content which doesn't belong to them. See also social media. They try to get as big a market share as possible they try to get as big a market share as possible by buying out other companies, getting into get debt or financializing their company to do so, and then compete with other companies for the whole of the market. Okay, Just as with Visa and MasterCard, Meta and Twitter, Google and Microsoft and Apple, see also MindGeek and WGCZ Holdings. This is the kind of the, this is how capitalism works nowadays. This means that any profit in porn goes to fewer and fewer people. The small businesses get bought up or squeezed out or is reliant on the bigger companies and the whims of their algorithms and payment systems in order to try and survive. 
These two companies don't make anything like the profits that other big company owners of other websites make, for example, Facebook or Amazon or Netflix. This is thought to be because of the debts that they may have, according to this article in the Financial Times, which again you can link, you can see a link to, but also because there are a lot of disincentives for people to buy porn. It's also been alleged by some journalists that the comp complicated corporate structure of these porn companies, based on a lot of different companies, are set up to, let's say, pay as little tax as possible, just like other big company owners of other websites. I should say that's alleged, it's just thought to be other journalists have, have thought that. I have no idea. For porn studios that are not owned by these three companies, it is very, very difficult to compete. Independent porn producers don't have the power of owning the free porn tubes websites for people to browse their porn and maybe buy it. So they are reliant on people searching out their content through other methods. When so much of the space for selling and buying porn is taken up by these two big companies, there's little space for other companies to do, to do the same. They might find themselves having to put out some of their clips on the free porn tube sites and hope to get subscribers that way. Or if an independent company does well, they might be under a lot of pressure to sell their company to one of the big two. Monopolies are not good, and even capitalist governments have laws which are meant to prevent monopolies, monopolies and mergers from happening. So this is all bad enough, even if you believe that capitalism is good, which I don't. Here's the killer though, just like with YouTube, the porn streaming sites allow users to upload their own content from their own hard drive. Often this is copyrighted videos that are put up without, without the permission of the people who made them. This really affects the producers of independent porn. According to the Financial Times, every day roughly 15 terabytes worth of videos get uploaded to MindGeek sites, equivalent to roughly half of the content available to watch on Netflix, which is mind-boggling. Until a couple of years ago, when a lot of it had to be taken down, much of this is stolen or pirated or from other porn sites. Indie porn producers had to constantly search for their own content, and still do, have to constantly search for their own content on the pirate sites to see entire scenes have been uploaded to get them taken down. It's worth noting here that one of the two major porn companies, WGCZ Holdings, have not had much of their content taken down, or have not had to take that content, much of their content down, because they have managed to create their own payment systems, thus so far avoiding the regulation of the market set by Visa and MasterCard. So they also have control over their own payment systems. Um, super interesting. The other kinds of content that users upload is their own amateur material. Sometimes, maybe most of the time, we don't know. This is done consensually, where everyone in the video says, yes, I want to put this video up on a porn site. But sometimes not. Sometimes um, it's not done consensually, and, some, and, which is, uh, and the term for this, which is I don't like to use, but the term which people use is revenge porn. It's like a shorthand for videos uploaded without the consent of the person. It could be done for revenge or spite or anger or whatever reason, not just motivated by revenge. Um, but it doesn't matter why they do it, and in my view it's not porn if it's not consensually made or published. It's abuse. Um, there are also images of under-18s on these websites and other illegal images too. And we can also report these via the Internet Watch Foundation. Um, as I've said, it's only recently that the tube companies started to take steps to prevent these non-consensual images from being hosted on their platforms. It's often really difficult to get images taken down quickly, and this is because there are so many images and videos and they don't have enough staff. It's alleged that one of the porn tube sites has a couple of dozen members of staff. They say that's inaccurate. 
YouTube are estimated to have around 10,000 members of staff screening content. Clearly, that's not enough. So clearly, when you, YouTube is incredibly popular up there as being as popular as the most popular porn sites. We need more staff screening all of the material which is put up there. And what can we do about it? Well, not a lot. Governments are not that keen on holding huge corporations to account for some reason. Actually, the owner of WGCZ said in an email to the FT that this is something they would actually like to see. Um, there are especially states are especially not going after big porn companies because then we have to have a real national conversation, worldwide conversation about how porn plays a big role in society. And also, the people who own MindGeek or WGCZ are pretty private, and journalists have a hard time getting answers out of them. Um, which the FT podcast series was really, really good um, at articulating. The big porn streaming platforms might offer what seems to be a great public service, giving viewers everything they want for free. But the model for these free platforms has been bad for porn companies and has lowered the paying conditions of their workers. So it's bad for them. But it's also bad for the viewer. The reason why many people struggle with their relationship to porn is not necessarily the porn itself, but the way that capitalism has organised it and our desires. So firstly, they make the viewer a worker. Pornography has always been seen as being opposition to the ideal labouring subjects. The only kind of sex that was okay was that which was reproductive, penis and vagina sex. Or possibly reproductive, not all penis and vagina sex can be reproductive, but you get the point. The viewing or making of pornography or masturbation or any other form of non-possibly procreative sex was seen as being subversive and problematic. To put it short, if you were wanking, you weren't at work. However, what used to be excessive, obscene, anti-authority and radical is now productive labour. Perhaps not to your employer, but to the porn platforms. To look is to labour. Uh, to quote Jonathan Bella, um, who came up with the uh, idea of the attention economy. And there is a great value to capital in us looking at pornography. Not that much or any of this value goes to the people we might be looking at, the pornographers and the people who made the pornography, but it does accrue to the platforms that host it. They extract our scarce attention in an immersive and bewildering arcade of windows, clips, categories, tags, phrases, entice enticements, taboo headlines and ads. Being in that space and looking or glancing at this creates this huge excess value which is capital on by mostly just two companies, MindGeek and WGCZ Holdings. To quote Rebecca Saunders, shout out to my great episode with her that we did from her excellent book Bodies of Work, The Labour of Sex in the Digital Age. Digital pornography creates the principal biopolitical interface across which the sexual body is rendered productive for capital in the 21st century. This doesn't even take into account the huge amount of labour that users do to upload either their own material to the platform or stolen or consensual images. Wanking is now work. Also, as Rebecca pointed out in her book, a lot of people kind of take to wanking in order to get them through their day. So um, the numbers of hours uh, that we're working has increased. Uh, the drudgery and the monotony of people's jobs um, sat in front of screens. These screens also are happen to be just happen to be the uh, the place where we also look at pornography. So look, looking at screens is also it's where we also look at porn. So it creates this kind of uh, 
mise-en-scene, this kind of uh, this uh, environment where we are where to look at to look at the screen is to both be working and also the possibility of our entertainment and masturbation and a lot of people wank at work so either uh, wanking from home which is an amusing uh, term I think or uh, wanking at the office um, and so um, you know imagine the the board worker at the office who uh, goes to the toilet to look at their phone, another screen, in order to masturbate, in order to re- relieve their boredom from the tedium and the hard work that is sitting in front of another screen and going back to look at that other screen. That's what Rebecca talks about in her book. It's excellent. So, so far, so left-wing rant about platform capitalism, but what does that mean for the experience of the viewer of porn? Well, they just want your attention and clicks. Porn streaming sites aren't interested in us having a nice time or learning about our sexualities. They're interested in our clicks. That means that leaving people unsatisfied is part of the way that free porn sites have to operate. They're relying on us clicking on a few things and leaving with a sense of, was there something that might have been sexier? Is there something I need to go back for? Or a nagging sensation that we haven't found the thing, uh, dusting, that we are really searching for. Porn platforms, whether they do this consciously or not, tap into this idea that we are lacking and searching for what psychoanalyst Jacques Lacan were called objet R, um, Freud called it dusting, or the object cause of desire. Bonnie Rambutan and ja- Jacob Johansson explain this nicely in their fascinating book Event Horizon. Throughout their life, the subject, e.g. viewer of porn, feels that something is missing or not quite right, and, often unconsciously, seeks to fill this void through particular fantasies and actions. Of course, the porn streaming sites also want people to buy porn, which isn't necessarily a problem. We should pay for the porn we watch. The issue is that they want people to buy the porn that they make. Two companies that own most of the cheap platforms also own a huge chunk of the porn business, but even beyond the paywall, the same immersive and bewildering and seemingly infinite array of porn is there, which offers yet more opportunities for object R, opportunities for us to feel lack. So um, let me just talk about the uh, this idea. I haven't, I didn't bring this out in the article, and I'm kind of riffing here, but. Uh, Alpha makes this really interesting point in his book about the situationists and uh, Walter Benjamin's idea of um, going around the arcades of Paris and how beautiful they are and you know the and, and what those arcades do they kind of I guess what they do is they kind of suck you in into a, a mode of um, uh, mode of you being a consumer and that there is something within this arcade, within this beautiful arcade with all of these windows, there is something there for you, something that, where you can state your desires. And of course, uh, that desire can never be sated according to a psychoanalyst perspective, but that the whole that the whole building, the whole, the, the mise-en-scene, everything that you're meant to look at is meant to bewilder you, it's meant to be, um, it's meant to kind of discombobulate you and disconnect you from yourself in order that you become immersed in this world of, I must buy something and the thing that I really want is in here somewhere. Does that make sense? And so in that way, it kind of captures our desires when we go shopping, which is why I hate shopping centers. That's why I hate shopping. <laughs> um, uh, but 
Pornography does a similar thing, right? So it brings you into screens that we're already familiar with because we work on them, but they also bring you in with a bewildering array of windows. It's not like they are presenting you with this ideal pornography that they think that you want to watch. So it's not like they are saying, have you thought about watching this? And then maybe there's one other or maybe one other screen. To open up a porn website is to look at an infinite list of different competing windows all competing for your attention. Each of the headlines have a more salacious, a more taboo headline to draw your attention, to capture your attention. And so what they're wanting you to do is to go round and round and round and round and round and round and round. They're, not, they're basically wanting you to click because that's how they that's how they gain value. The longer you spend on the website, the more you click on the website, the more value you are creating. Anyway, so going back to desire, um, and this opportunity to fulfill lack. As Alfie Bann explained to me in a podcast I recorded with him, shout out to the podcast I did with Alfie on here, about his excellent book, Dream Lovers, The Gamification of Relationships, lack isn't necessarily bad. Desiring desire is productive and can give us the possibility of connection and becoming some, something other. So this is uh, Deleuze and Guattari's idea of us as being desiring machines, that the assemblage, that our rhizome, isn't in search of desire, it is desire, okay? Uh, and it's desire for connection. It is desire to, for the, I guess it's the life force of the rhizome, almost. Uh, but where desires are categorized, tagged, headlined, and datafied, then those desires may end up being territorialized by the platform or captured by the platform. Does that make sense? So it's a bit like we're going around a mall and we're like, I like this brand, I like this label, um, I like these colours, um, I like the design of this, you know, we're in the old-fashioned arcade or in a shopping centre, and we and so our desires are then territorialised by those labels, brands, colours, designs, styles, rather than allowing us to the possibility of thinking about what our desires might be, it becomes this kind of um, uh, self-regulating environment wherein our desires are captured. The divided porn viewer. The desires that we are presented with and which we seek out are thus divided into millions and millions of data points. This data is then used by owners of the tube sites as their market research for the kinds of content that studio should make. We feed the algorithms with data in order that we receive back a coded version of what our desires are. If our desires only live on these platforms, porn websites, we might have a sense of ourselves as a Individual, which is an idea of French philosopher Gilles Deleuze. Alfie summed this up nicely in his book. The individual is the idea of the individual as a collection of data, but also as a consistent identity who can only follow predetermined paths, such as computational machines, such as computational machines can. Um, the individual is an experience of ourselves in which we are encouraged to, encouraged to restart and reorganize ourselves regularly in a ruptured or fractured way. So this is deeply theoretical, but for anyone with a compulsive relationship to porn, that probably sounds quite familiar. Um, so this idea of um, the individual is something which uh, where Deleuze was building on Foucault's idea of the panopticon. So the panopticon is the idea that we are all disciplining and monitoring ourselves in this imagined um, 
prison it, where all of the prisoners, all of the prison cells face a watchtower in the middle. And we, the, the person in the watchtower can see everybody in our individual prison cells, but we can't see whether the guard in the watchtower is there or not, which means that we monitor ourselves, whether we are actually being monitored or not. Deleuze is saying, we are actually, we have, uh, in order to take part in society, we have to divide ourselves up into individual people in order to exist, in order to get through certain gateways. So we need a bank card. And whenever we have a bank card, that a certain individualized aspect of ourselves is in that bank card and in that transaction where we put money into a machine and take it out or pay for things. Or if we have a lanyard to get us into a security gate at work, we have divided ourselves in that way. We are individual. That's basically... The, that's basically the background for that. Again, that was another side note. Um, but you know, I'm, you know, this is better than just me rambling on with somebody else, right? You know, it's just me talking. At least it's at least I've got notes and know where I'm going. Anyway, that's what I tell myself. Okay, so the platforms are not in the least bit interested in our desire to desire or in what way our desires are productive. They just want us to click and look, click and look. Instead of the gaze, we're encouraged to glance to scan the infinite pages to see if there's another object cause of desire, that there's always something else we might be glancing at. Their job is to distract us, to affect us, and to keep us clicking. But we also need to get back to work, or to sleep in order to get up for work. Looking at the porn, we might increasingly click faster, fast forward, jump from scene to scene, in order that we might stop looking at porn. We're looking to be reset back to zero, Instead of a pleasurable climax or a jumping off point for a desire, we might be simply looking for a scene which hits the spot in order that we can put the porn away. Rebecca talks about this in her book as well. It's super interesting. So the porn companies and the porn websites, I'm talking about the capitalist porn websites here, are not doing anything radical at all. They are doing something incredibly normative. They are not saying to us, it's okay to look at porn. In fact... In a lot of their kind of messaging and their advertising, they're saying, they say, no, porn is still this dirty thing you shouldn't be doing. Um, and it's also not sufficient. It, you know, it's not as good as uh, doing things in person. Or and, and also the porn that is on, you know, that is on sale is also, as I've already said, that they also sell us the sense of a lack or that the real thing that we really want to find is out there somewhere. But they also say... They don't subvert the work. They don't subvert the work ethic. They don't. They don't. So, porn is no longer um, saying, you know, we know this is bad and naughty, but you know, enjoy it while you're here. <clears throat> what they're saying is, is that it's bad. You're looking at porn. We're going to keep you looking at porn until you find the thing you need, and then you'll go back to work because you know, we you really shouldn't be here, but also we want you to be here. So they kind of sell the idea of it's a bad thing. And so fundamentally as well, this might lead to us feeling like we have a quite a depressive, um, melancholic relationship with our sexuality and desire because it's that sense of where can we put it and where is it okay to put it? Because the porn that we're watching is not this kind of, or well, the porn platforms are not doing this affirmative, it's okay, what else might it be? Porn is like a nice, you know, expression, and it is anti-authority and uh, queer, and has the possibilities of becoming other. It, these platforms don't do that. <clears throat> so, what can we do about this? Apart from paying for any porn we might watch, 
we also might want to think about where and who we buy the porn from. Instead of buying porn from the big companies who own the tube sites, we might instead think about buying from independent porn studios or producers. A lot of people say here, there's no such thing as ethical consumption under capitalism. I'm afraid those people just don't understand the difference between commercial activity and capitalism. Even if we lived in communism, we'd still have nice places. I'm quoting from Jeremy Gilbert here uh, in his book Common Ground, which is really good. Um, even if we lived under communism, we would all get, let's say, imagine we'd all get a daily uh, nice milk bread from the state. We'd all get a free bread. We'd just pick one up. But we'd still be able to also go and buy an artisan sourdough if we wanted to as a commercial activity. We can exchange money or labor for somebody else's labor, right? So that's commercial activity. And so it's really important to understand the difference between commercial activity where we buy things from, from individuals and companies who make something, uh, we buy that thing, they take the profits, invest them in making more things, buy more staff or developing new things, paying themselves, paying their workers properly. That's how commercial activity can work. So, um, I've actually already said that here. So there's a difference between capitalism where profits are accumulated and turned into wealth and that wealth is then used to create more money and more wealth and commercial activity where profits are divided between workers and invested in more and better products. Again, Rebecca Saunders' book's really great on this. Porn producers such as A Four Chambered Heart also do a great job in making the labour practices very clear and upfront. Uh, there's a link to click on there um, in the in the blog post. If we're still heading to the tube sites, we could perhaps think about slowing down. We might easily find ourselves lost in this overwhelming window shopping, you know, to be discombobulated in a shopping centre. So what can we do to give ourselves a gentle reminder that we are there and what we're doing there? And so what can we notice about our bodies in that moment? Is this something we actually want right now? Do we really have the time to enjoy it? If this was with a sex partner, would it be okay? How consensual are we being with ourselves? Again, these platforms aren't interested in whether you're having a nice time or not. They just want you to be busy clicking around in and looking and glancing at everything on their site. So actually, if you are going to go to the free porn sites, we could close our eyes. We could think, okay, what what's this doing for me? And where and where are my desires right now? And who and 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 does how does this relate to me as well? So porn is categorized around who is in them and what they're doing. But the things we might find find sexy might be beyond the categories. So again, instead of thinking, you know, glasses porn, clown porn, um, you know, whatever whatever other categories you might want to look at. Um, I mean they're all basically step sibling at the moment mostly uh, but you know there might be other categories you might be interested in as well so instead of the categories and how it's been tagged and categorized think about well what was it I, i'm finding hot about this scene is it that how they looked at each other or a thing that was said to each other or a sense of chemistry between them something that somebody might have said maybe it was the way that they kissed maybe it was how it was filmed or the speed or how bright it was so looking at you know the directorial kind of um, influence creativity as well. Experiment with watching the same scene over and over again. So instead of just being distracted and moving on to another scene halfway through, can we slow down and look differently? Each time we blink, what else do we see? What else can we hear? Do we find ourselves identifying with any of the performers? Are we in the room with them? 
What might we like to do if we were? How did we get there? How do we all know each other? What happens after that? And what else? So this sense of asking these other questions, paying attention to, uh, you know, looking and not thinking, thinking about, uh, just contradicting myself there, these kind of ideas that I brought up on the episode that I did about Wittgenstein, um, uh, just the, that thing of each time we blink, what else do we see? Trying to map where the poor might be taking us rather than to, um, uh, rather than to uh, try to find what the desire is. Maybe we can instead just kind of, psychogeographically walk around and see where it takes us and be interested in where and where these things might take us but doing this at our own pace at our own speed rather than at the speed of what the big porn companies are doing and that's it so uh thank you so much for listening um and uh let's get involved in having a conversation about this on the discord if you're listening on patreon uh, we have a discord chat i forgot to mention that yeah, we have a Discord uh, where we can chat about these episodes and um, chat to each other as well. Thinking about doing some um, some long-awaited uh, Zoom sessions, online Zoom sessions with everyone. So uh, patrons, uh, you'll find out more about that soon. And um, but for everyone who can't be a patron, if uh, uh, I know everyone's skint, so it's fine if you can't afford to be a patron. Enjoy this content. Um, f- please think about sharing it with other people. Um, perhaps other people might be able to become a patron uh, it'd be nice to get uh, even more people listening to this and um, yeah uh, okay so the Patreon again is patreon.com forward slash culture sex relationships alright uh, until next time bye see ya yeah alright then Try. okay oh, yeah. yeah okay bye bye